0: DiBianco.
1: What does it mean to reinvent yourself? And what kind of story must you create to become a new, more powerful you? Hey, hello, storytellers, and welcome once again to another episode of Change Your Story, Change Your Life. I'm your host, Luis DiBianco. I'm excited to announce that our sponsor is Audible. They are offering you, our listeners, a free download of one of your favorite audio books. You get to choose from 180,000 titles, and you also get a one-month free trial of Audible's entire service. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com Forward slash story power. That is com forward slash story power. For your convenience, you can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio, as well as the website ChangeYourStoryPodcast.com. Because the theme of the show is Change Your Story, Change Your Life, I've created a free gift for you, my listeners. It is an ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life in Business. You can download it immediately at www.changeyourstorypodcast.com. One of the most rewarding things in this podcast for me is my ongoing dialogue with you, my storytellers, my listeners. Let's continue that dialogue. Keep sending your comments about what you're getting from the show and what you'd like to see in it going forward. Send them to lewis, L-O-U-I-S at changeyourstorypodcast.com I promise to read every message I receive, and to choose some of them to share with you on the show. Today's guest, my friends, is a role model for reinventing yourself. In fact, I'm just going to tell you some details about his accomplishments without any of the surrounding circumstances, because I don't want to steal his thunder. I'm going to let him share those with you. His name is J.J. Burden. J.J. was born in Portland, Oregon. He went to the University of Oregon. At that school, he was an outstanding track and field star, and he was destined for the 1988 Olympics, but something happened to stop that dream from happening. We'll learn a little bit more about that when J.J. comes on. He was one of the first prototype track stars to successfully walk on and excel at football, for the Oregon Ducks. In 2010, the University of Oregon, he inducted him into the Athletic Hall of Fame for the Oregon Ducks 1985 track and field NCAA championship team. In football, he played for the Cleveland Browns 1988 to 1989, the Dallas Cowboys in 1989, the Kansas City Chiefs from 1990 to 94, The Atlanta Falcons, 1995 to 1996. He has 17 touchdowns to his name. And the exciting thing about JJ is that after he finished his career in professional football, he literally reinvented himself as a businessman, as a a speaker, as an author who has a wonderful book he's going to tell you about, and also as a network marketer. I am really excited to welcome a new friend and business colleague. Hey, JJ, welcome to the
0: call. Hey, Lewis, how are you doing today? It's great to be on the call with you.
1: Oh, man, I am doing well, and I I love the energy in your voice, my friend. Now, the first thing I would love you to share with us is that dream that you had for entering the Olympics what happened to stop that
0: well basically uh, you know I was focused at the University of Oregon on completing my track season and and I was also playing on the football team and and football really wasn't my love uh, I just everybody said I couldn't play college football so I said I'm going to show you and prove you wrong, you know, and I made the team and, you know, I didn't have a great college career, but I was on the team, but I was really focusing on track and, uh, trying to make it to the Olympics. And so, um, I was a very good long jumper and I had won the PAC 12 championships. I was heading to nationals and I qualified for Olympic trials. And, but to my surprise, I was drafted in the 1988 NFL draft by the Cleveland Browns, which really caught me by surprise because, um, You know, I was known for my speed and I could catch the ball and I could do a lot of things, but I wasn't the prototypical wide receiver, so I didn't think I would get a shot. Well, I got drafted, so I shot out to Cleveland for the rookie camp. They have all the rookies come out after the draft, and I figure let's go to this three-day rookie camp. Let's just get this thing over with. We'll check it out, but I want to get back to school and prepare for nationals and the Olympic trials. Well, my third practice with the Cleveland Browns, I tore two ligaments in my knee, my ACL, my MCL ligaments, and uh, that was the end of track and field, and as, you know, like anyone, I was very disappointed, but I realized that, hey, one opportunity just closed, another one opened, and that's when I focused on the NFL.
1: That is amazing, and, you know, to me, that is an incredible example of of the first major Reinvention that you had to do, like a lot of people would be so crushed by that that they would maybe even give up sports. Now, w- what fascinates me is you said that people kept saying that you weren't, that they, they didn't believe that you could be good in football. What was the reason for that?
0: Basically, because of my size, they looked at me. They looked at me from the outside, how tall I was, uh, how much was you know how much I weighed, and you know I was very light, and I was five ten and and in pros, I was five, nine in high school. Uh, even though I had this amazing high school career, I was catching bombs left and right, but when it came to whether or not I would play in college, all of the division one schools said no, they weren't interested. And so I had a lot of Division two and Division three schools that wanted me to play football. But in my heart, I felt I was a Division one athlete. So if I was going to play sports, it was going to be at the highest level for college. And so um, I had to take the roundabout way as I was being recruited in track. I had a lot of schools after me in track. Every college that recruited me in track, I always asked the coach, hey, what do you think about me trying football at some point? And all the schools said, no, absolutely not, except for the University of Oregon. The track coach told me, hey, if you run the first year, we will do whatever we can to at least get you a chance to walk on. And all I wanted was an opportunity, and um, that's what happened.
1: That's amazing, my friend. How
0: much do you weigh? How much did you weigh at the time? Well, in, let's see, high school, I was about 133 pounds. Wow. <laughs> yeah, 133 pounds. College, I was about 153. And then in my NFL career, all nine years, I was about 157 pounds.
1: Yeah, well, I, the reason I asked you that, I want people to begin to picture that. Now, this is a man who excelled. He even said at the beginning that football wasn't his first love. And yet, when he decided to commit to it, he went on to become a champion in it. And... Now, this is an individual who's in great shape, but we're talking five, nine, five, ten, 157 pounds up against some pretty, pretty big guys in football. And you held your own brilliantly, my friend. Now, um, what I also know that it wasn't that easy for you to be picked in the 1988 NFL draft. What was the number?
0: I was the hundred and no, wait a minute. I was the two hundred and sixteenth pick in the eighth round of the draft of that year, and and it's funny because now they don't even have eight rounds. They don't even go that high. So I would definitely be considered a long shot.
1: Wow,
0: that's that's beautiful, man. Now, what challenges
1: did you face when you first got into um, professional football, and how did you overcome them?
0: Well, I think the first challenge was obviously was the knee injury uh, because that whole year I was on injury reserve. so I, And I had never experienced a severe injury like that. That was my first major um, setback athletically. So I had to deal with that first. How do you recover from such a severe knee, knee injury? Keep yourself mentally in the game. And that first year was such a learning experience for me because I had to really learn how to play in the NFL from a from a intellectual standpoint. You know, learning the system and, and learning, developing all the mental skills that were necessary. Um, so that was a challenge in itself. And then, too, just really believing that I belong because I spent that first probably half of the season looking around at all the other players and, and just noticing how much bigger they were, how much stronger they were. And then I would ask myself, do I really belong at this level? Can I really play at this level? But somewhere in the middle of that season, just a mind shift happened. And I started seeing guys that I knew I was athletically better than, that I uh, you know understood the system better. And I started to believe, you know what? I can definitely play at this level. I just need to get healthy. Wow. That is
1: inspiring. Now, you said something really intrigued me. There, you said that you had to develop the the mental skills. And what 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 can share some of those with us? I mean,
0: that's yeah. Well, I'd say you know, first you go from high school to college. It's not a real big jump. It's a big jump. But when you go from college to pro, it's a whole different level because everybody there is an all American. Everyone's a great athlete athlete, they're physically gifted, they're strong and all that other stuff, but it's the mental part that really separates the athletes at that level. Who has the mental toughness to be able to push themselves in their training, the physical preparation, the mental preparation, learning the system and all these plays because as professional football players you have to know all the plays inside and out and then you have to have the ability to make split second decisions at the drop of a dime and a lot of that takes a lot of mental capacity to be able to do that and and I realized that that year and so I I I learned from a lot of uh, veteran wide receivers and I picked their brains as much as I can because I saw how confident they were and a lot of them told me this JJ the confidence comes from when you know what to do and when to do it and how to do it
1: wow that is beautiful Now, I heard you talk about this before, and I'm sure that our listeners would love to hear about it. One of the people that you admired and maybe presented a psychological challenge to you is Joe Montana. Can you tell us a little bit about your first interactions with Joe?
0: Yeah, that was that was an exciting experience for me because it, it really took me some time to get over the fact that I was playing with one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. And you know, here's a guy that I was in the eighth grade watching him throw touchdown passes and win Super Bowls. And next thing you know, I'm in the huddle with Joe. And I specifically remember the first huddle with Joe. And I'm a starting receiver. I'm in the huddle. He calls the play and I'm not even paying attention. I'm just over there looking at Joe. I'm like, that's Joe Montana, that's Joe (laughs) Montana, and I'm in the huddle with him, you know, so, but I got my reality check right away because the very first play in practice, he calls X hook, and I'm an X, so I'm thinking like, hey, I'm going to get Joe Montana's first pass with the Kansas City Chiefs, so I jog out to the line, I run my 12-yard hook, and at the top of the route, Joe hits me in the back of the head with the ball. Oh. And I'm like looking at him like, hey, what's up? And Joe goes, here's the deal. I don't wait for you to get open. I've already seen the defense. I know where the hole is. I throw it to an area and expect you to get there quickly and get your head around. Whoa. And when he said that, I knew I was playing with a whole different level of a quarterback. But it made me a better wide receiver.
1: Wow, that is fantastic. What I also love about it is, is another example of being able to, show up, and perform under incredible pressure. And to me, that's part of what we know as the winning mindset. When you look back on your life, is is there anything that contributed to your ability to step into a winning mindset? Because, listen, that's rare, man. A lot of individuals we know talk about it, but they just don't get it.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think for me... It was a couple things. One is belief. I, I always believed I could do it because, you know, I was gifted with athletic ability. I mean, I could always run fast. I had an amazing jumping ability. I had quickness and I had the physical tools, but I didn't just rely on those physical tools or that talent by itself. Then I was willing to put in the work to make myself even better as an athlete. And so I would make that commitment physically. But, Lewis, I'd also make the commitment mentally, too. I was always sharp on the plays. I always knew the plays. I always knew what to do. I studied a lot of film, making sure I knew what my opponents were up to so I could have that competitive edge. And so the fact that I was willing to do whatever it took to be successful, I never doubted my ability. I just, I always just needed to wait until I got the opportunity. And when I got the opportunity, I seized it.
1: Mm-hmm. That is beautiful indeed. You know, um, can you do? You do you, um, you must have a couple of uh, really fond memories of highlight moments for you in your football career. You want to share
0: one or two of those with us? Absolutely. Uh, I'd say the first one was my first NFL touchdown, and and the reason why was because. Um, My first year, I was on injured reserve with the Cleveland Browns. You know, I got credited for a whole year basically on IR, rehabbing, and watching practice. The second year, I was in Dallas, and I was on the practice squad, practicing with the team, and 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 promised every week that, hey, you're going to get activated, you're going to play in a game, and I didn't get in, activated that entire season, and here I get credit for another year, and I hadn't really even played in a regular season game, so that third year, when I signed with the Kansas City Chiefs, I knew that it was either make it or break it. I had to make the right decision, and so I worked really hard, I came into camp 100%, I did everything I needed to, to, to do, and they cut me at the very end of camp, but they said, we're going to bring you back in a couple weeks, and two weeks later, they brought me back, they activated me. I played in my first game against Seattle, uh, the Seattle Seahawks, where I lived in Portland. My entire family was there, and I scored a 33-yard touchdown in that first game, and and it was kind of like my moment of saying, you know what? After all the trials and tribulations and the setbacks, I made it. So that first touchdown was very, very memorable to me because it was my it was my true introduction to showing people that. I belong in the league. So so that was definitely a, a, one of my highlights. And, and obviously, I got to go back to Joe Montana. I mean, catching my first touchdown pass from Joe Montana, which was a 52-yard post route, was so exciting because, you know, I just caught a touchdown from one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. And I remember going into the end zone and spiking the ball really hard. And it was my way of saying, hey, for all those people who said I could not do it, Look at me now. I'm in the end zone, and I just scored a touchdown from one of the great ones. Wow,
1: man. And I'm willing to bet that every time you think about those two events, that they're as clear as if they happened this morning.
0: Yes, and they still send chills down my spine. You know, I, I have a highlight film And I'll tell you, whenever I'm in a bad mood or I'm just kind of, you know, not feeling motivated or excited, I, I watch that highlight film, and to this day, it still gets me fired up, and it puts me in the right mindset when I need a little extra help. That is
1: beautiful. Thank you so much for that. You know, obviously, discipline is not optional in what you do and what you did, and so many people just we, we throw that word around, you know. Yeah, discipline. We know we know it, it, it takes discipline. Can you give me a, a specific picture of a day of preparing? to keep yourself at peak performance, what that discipline looked like when you were playing football.
0: Absolutely. And I, and I think you you raise a good point because I think I always say discipline is the master key when it comes to success in anything. It could be athletically, it could be professionally, it could be personally. And um, I describe discipline as the ability to, to do what you need to do when you need to do it while no one is watching. And that's always been my, my definition of discipline because as an athlete, You know, you you start your day, you get up and you got to hit the gym, you got to get in there and you got to do your workout. And you don't always have someone over your shoulder, you know, waking you up and motivating you, you got to be able to have that self discipline. So I'd go in and I'd, I'd get my workout in and then, then I'd head to the team meeting. And when I head to the team meeting, I have to have done my homework. Yes, as football players, we have homework. We have plays we got to know. We have film we have to have studied. And so I'd sit in my meeting for several hours and showing the coach that I prepared. I know the game plan. I know who we play or we're playing. I know the DB that's covered me. I know his tendencies. And and then from there, you you get ready for practice. And everything you just learned and everything you just studied, now you have to go execute that on the on the field. And, and I always tell people that hey, it's easy to um, to perform when life is going great, when there's no challenges, when there's no obstacles, when you feel healthy. But as a football player, we were always banged up, we were always hurting. But you had to have the ability to um, to overlook that pain and just play right through it, and then execute come practice time. And, and we always had a philosophy of, of playing the way you, you practice the way you play. When you play in a game, you play at full speed. So when you practice, you practice at full speed because you want to have those same habits. And so a lot of those things takes discipline because you have to be able to Do those things yourself. Even when practice was over again, Lewis, I was instructed to go home. I'd have to ice my injuries. I always had some some bruises here and there. And then I'd spend an hour and a half watching film of the opponent that I'm playing. Again, it took discipline to do it because it was my responsibility to do it. And why did I do it? Because I wanted to ensure that I played at the highest level come game time. Wow. What time did your day begin? It basically began about, let's see, we had to be in the weight room about 7 o'clock, 6.45-ish. So I'd wake up about 6 and then hit the gym and I'm working out from 6.45 to about 8 o'clock. Shower, our first meeting was at 8.45 and then the meetings would go from 8.45 to about 11 and then you'd have a 30-minute lunch then you get dressed for practice, and then you'd have another meeting for 45 minutes. Then you'd go practice for about two to three hours, depending on what day of the week. And then you'd shower, you get treatment, and then you have another meeting because you'd watch the films of the practice you just had. And then you'd go home about 6, 6.30, be with the family. Watch some more film. So what a lot of people think about professional football players is that you just go there and practice for a couple hours. No, it's a full-time job. You worked six and a half days a week. And I say six and a half because Tuesday is the day that NFL players have the day off. But if you're injured, you have to go in and get treatment.
1: Wow. Wow. Now, you know, as you were talking, I'm thinking this. You have... All right. Incredible discipline. But a person doesn't just develop the discipline because they say, that's what I've got to do. Obviously, you needed a why to accomplish what you were doing, a why to make you do things that are out of the ordinary. What would that personal
0: deep why be for you? Yeah, you hit it right on the head. I mean, you can, you can, you know, you can want this, that, and the other, but if that why is not strong enough, if it's not just eating at your heart, you're not going to be willing to do what it takes. And so for me, as a young man growing up in Northeast Portland, I decided at an early age I wanted to be successful. Now, I didn't know what success meant, but one thing I recognized from those who were raised, who were around me in, my, in the environment, my family and friends, you know, I just saw a lot of people struggling in, in the inner cities there, struggling to make ends meet. And my mom, she worked really hard. You know, she dropped out of high school when she was a junior and she did her best to take care of us. But I saw how we struggled and I decided I did not want that. I want to be successful to the point where I can take care of my family comfortably or where I can do what I want to do. And that has really always been my why. And that why has driven me from high school, from college, from NFL, from post-NFL to stay on course and to continue to achieve those goals. And so um, I like to say when the why is not strong, when the why is strong enough, the, the process that it takes to get there is not an obstacle
1: mm-hmm how many uh siblings do you have
0: i have uh, on my mom's side I have a brother and a sister and then my dad's side I have four sisters so we my parents weren't never married but uh, you know i've I, I grew up with quite a few
1: Wow. and uh, have others in your family gone on to achieve the, the heights that you have?
0: Unfortunately, no. But I'll tell you one thing, though. A lot of them had the same ability I did. I had some cousins. My brother, my older brother, was just as fast as me or probably faster, very talented. I had cousins that were just phenomenal. Um, But I think one of the things that happened to them is it became very easy for them. A lot of them were taller than me. I was the little guy. So I was always working hard trying to catch up to those guys. And I think they had it too easy, and that success came early and it went to their head. Uh, but for me, I was, I was so hungry, and I was always willing to try to beat those guys, and, and it um, obviously it took me a long ways. But it's interesting when I talk to them today, they all regret it. They all wish they had just stayed locked in on their goal and keep working hard because they know that they had the same potential I did.
1: Yeah, but what they're looking at is the glory and they don't see the pain that
0: got you there, man. You're right. You're right. You're it's, right. You're right. You're right.
1: And, a,
0: and, a, and a lot of them weren't willing to make that commitment.
1: hmm. That is. Wow. That is so inspiring
0: to hear. Now, when did you stop playing football professionally and why? I stopped playing in 1997. My last year with the Atlanta Falcons was the end of the 1996 season. And um, I had a, I got a knee injury that last year. And I started rehabbing and I got back to 100%. And I had the chance to continue playing. But then I started looking at my career and I thought, you know what? I'm 5'10", 157 pounds. I played nine years in the NFL. Yes, I'm banged up, but... I'm pretty active, I'm still pretty healthy, and if I quit now, I at least may be healthy enough to still enjoy the rest of my life, my life and work out and be active with my kids, and, and so that was one of the reasons, and then my priorities changed, you know, I wanted to be there for my family because our life for nine years basically revolved around my NFL career, so it was time to be there for my family. Wow, Beautiful.
1: Now, when you, were, when you left football, did you have a specific thing that you wanted to do after your
0: football career? Yes, I did. I, I had a dream of owning multiple companies and just building this massive empire. That was my dream, you know, because as a football player – not all professional athletes are set for life. You know, a lot of people think that every football player makes gazillions of dollars, but you know, there's a very small number that does. For the most, for the rest of us, we need a plan B. So the money that I did make, I took that and I invested in several different companies, um, and I became owner of three different companies. Two were in the medical industry, one was a durable medical equipment company, I had some physical therapy clinics and then I was part owner of a fitness equipment company. So that was my transition because I had decided I didn't want to do coaching, a lot of players go that route, I didn't want to do that, coaches have no home life, <laughs> they're, they're <laughs> grow, drastically overworked. So, but I went into the corporate world and I did that for about nine years. And uh, how did you like it? Well, it wasn't – it didn't turn out the way I thought it was going (laughs) to be. I thought that was the dream, the American dream, own your own businesses and, you know, build these empires and earn all these income and take care of your family, but – no, it. it, it I own the businesses, but they really own me. And I didn't get the time and freedom. I didn't get the relaxation. I didn't earn the incomes I want. And, you know, I was dealing with things I could not control. I was in two medical companies, so I was dealing with Medicare and just some things that were out of my control. I was I was highly disappointed in those ventures. But I did learn a lot. You know, I did learn a lot during that process.
1: Hmm. Now, I know that you're already a successful network marketer. And uh, uh, we won't mention companies on this show, but I would love to know how you found the profession of network marketing,
0: or did it find you? Well, when I retired in 97, I probably had all my friends, all my family members introducing me to network marketing. Everyone <laughs> just thought I would be perfect for network marketing. And when I first learned of the concept, I was I was attracted to it. it you know, I got it right away. Residual income made sense to me. And, and so I was not opposed to doing it. The, the, the problem was that I started looking at companies in 97 and I never found a company that I, I could, I resonated with, that I really wanted to dive into the industry. So I spent about 10 years periodically looking at companies and I never joined. So I just waited until I was introduced to a company that made sense. So
1: what were the criteria that you were you were looking for that you weren't finding? Well,
0: I'll tell you at that part at that age in my, my my network marketing career, so to speak, the criteria was more about I wanted something that that I felt comfortable with uh, meaning that it just it just resonated with me now. Now when you talk about now what was my criteria when I chose the company I'm with now, that's a whole list of things because I gained the experience. But, but early on, I just wanted something that just you know that I could get excited about. and I just I didn't see anything out there that really you know, made me want to get involved at the time.
1: Right. And I guess you're talking about the products and services, you're talking about the way the companies run, the culture of the company, et cetera, correct?
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and I think specifically in 97, I'm thinking more products and services and the culture. Those were probably the two things I looked at the most at the time. Because at the time, I didn't know much about comp plans and I didn't know much about how these companies were supposed to be run. So I was focusing on those two elements first. Cool. So what
1: would you say was the first and biggest challenges that you faced when you entered network marketing? Because it's a totally different animal.
0: Yeah, when I entered it in 2007, my biggest challenge was overconfidence. I was a little too cocky when I first got into this (laughs) profession. And and I think it's because I had so much success as an athlete, I experienced some success in the business world, and I just thought, I got this, this is simple, sign people up, get them going, no problem. And and unfortunately, I went through a 16-month learning curve that um, it humbled me greatly. Let's just put it that way.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, again, you know, to your credit, 16 months of toughing it out uh, is remarkable and admirable because, I mean, I'm a network marketer and uh, I know, I mean, you and I are in the same company and... uh, I know that many, many people will give up after one week. Uh, The first obstacle that hits them, they're they're running for cover. So you stayed 16 months. That's incredible. So let's see. The the other question, I guess, is related to this. Did you find psychologically that it was tough to start reinventing yourself? You had an identity as an athlete. Well, you did have the transition of corporate world. But now there's a new identity. Identity is called... I'm a network marketer.
0: Yeah, there was a transition there happening too because one is you're making this transition from being a pro athlete and then you go into the corporate world. Now you're going into network marketing which is a totally different element and I recognized I was a little unique in, in the network marketing profession, because there's not a lot of professional athletes that are actively building network marketing business. And I say actively if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 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 So um, so I, I kind of struggled initially because I wasn't sure what I wanted my brand to be. What did I want the JJ Burden brand to be? But over time, through research, through learning from others, and understanding, okay, here's my competitive edge. My competitive edge is, you know, I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm an athlete, I'm an entrepreneur, and I'm a fitness you know, enthusiast, I'm an author, I'm a speaker. This all puts me in a position to help people live healthier lifestyles mentally, physically, and financially. So when I finally got what I wanted my brand to be, and I truly started reinventing myself, I just ran with it. And the network marketing aspect just fit in smoothly.
1: That's beautiful, man, because what you just said is the essence of why I even have this show. Because Mm -hmm. what you just talked about was you had to write a new script. You had to create a story Mm -hmm. that had authenticity and meaning to you that you could now live into. And when you started doing that, you began to see success now do you think that your football career gave you skills that a network marketer needs to succeed
0: absolutely yeah. i definitely i definitely believe so and which um, ones are they i would say first let's talk about commitment uh, wow. As an athlete, <laughs> you, you know, you're you're committed to your craft as an athlete, high school, college, pro, you, with your practices and your training and your games. And, you know, there's a huge part of commitment that that's required. Like we talked about discipline and putting in the work that's necessary to perfect your craft and, and to perform better. And, and network marketing, you got to make a commitment. And it's not like a week or it's not three months. It's not even a year. You've got to have that You know, understand that this is an endurance race. It takes time and there's a process. There's a process of learning and growing and developing the skills and these basic skills and you just, you do them over and over and over. And as an athlete, I might be training in September and October and November, but my first meet might not be for like six months, you know, but I know that I got to put in the work now to get the results later. So I would definitely say that I would say being coachable Mm -hmm. Uh, gotta be coachable in network marketing this is one of the reasons why i i had that 16 month learning curve because i wasn't real coachable at first in network marketing but when i realized that hey jj you're new these guys are pros they've had success you need to just shut up and listen to them and do what they tell you to do and when i started doing that that's when my success really started to happen in network marketing. And and that's a requirement as an athlete. And and then I just think having the mindset of never, never quitting. You know, a true athlete, one that truly is performing at the highest level, we don't quit. We don't quit. We go hard. We may lose sometimes, but we never, never quit. And in network marketing, it's the same thing. If you never quit, but you continue to make the commitment – you're going to have a degree of success and whatever that means to you, you're going to find a degree of success.
1: That's great. And, you know, I think there's even more there, which we'll, we'll get into in a moment. What would you say would be the biggest difference you found between the corporate business world and the network marketing business world?
0: I would say right away is this. In the corporate world, it's all about who can you pass up on the corporate ladder, you know, who can you do outperform? Whose job can you take? You know, so there's not a lot of loyalty. Everybody's constantly looking over their shoulder, even as a football player. I mean, when I joined the Chiefs, my job was to take someone else's job. And they were concerned. You know, they were looking over their shoulder. They didn't want to help me. And, you know, that's that's kind of how the corporate world. In network marketing, it's a little different. It's almost like you're on a ladder. You're on a ladder and below you are other people. And your job is to reach down and lift those people up to your level. And you can even allow them to pass you. You know, your job is to help other people find success. And if you do that, your success fall into place. So I love that aspect of it because it's the team atmosphere. And it's about helping your teammates succeed.
1: Damn right. I totally agree with that. And now, I mean, what you just described to me is the difference between Competition versus cooperation.
0: Mm, Very good.
1: You know, and here's the thing. You just said a magic word. Team. Now, in sports, as we know, the the team's goals, the team's mission has to come before the individuals. No matter what. That's a given. Otherwise, you can't achieve championship status. Would you say... that that is also at the core of building a network marketing business.
0: I certainly would. And I think I like the way you expressed it because in in football – You know, We all work together as a team. There's 11 guys on an offensive play and each one of those guys has to do their assignment. If they do their assignment, they help the team find success. And if one guy decides to do his own thing, that hurts the team. So you've got to work together and have a common goal. Same thing in network marketing. I mean, we say you're in business for yourself, but you're not in business by yourself. (laughs) You're working together as a team. And I believe that I think the acronym for team is together, everyone achieves more. And if you do work together as a team, everybody ends up finding that success.
1: That's beautiful, man. I mean, I, I'm totally in line with you. As you know, I'm passionate about network marketing. Now, you know, what you're describing, you're describing something that I believe is extremely noble. It's, it's, It elevates people, it uh, brings them into a better place in relationship to others uh, because they are supporting and helping people to grow. So knowing that, what do you think about this impression that some people have that, oh no, that's one of
0: those pyramid schemes? (laughs) (laughs) Well, when people say that to me, first I ask them, "What is a pyramid scheme exactly?" <laughs> you know, because a lot of people don't really know what a pyramid scheme is. And as you and I know, pyramid schemes are shut down by the government. You know, <laughs> um, but what when, what I'll typically ask someone is this: I'll say, "So, I'll say pyramid scheme. So, are you saying like it's a pyramid? So, let me ask you this: Where do you work?" And they tell me where they work. I say, Is there an owner? Yes. Is there a vice president? Yes. Is there an executive level? Yes. Is there salespeople? Yes. Is there, you know, and I say, Is there any chance of those guys, the janitor or the salespeople, ever making as much as the guy who owns the company? And of course they say no. And I say, Hmm. So that's kind of like a pyramid what you're talking about. And they they kind of look at me and I say, Here's the difference of what I do. It doesn't matter when you join the team where you are within the team you can be top bottom or whatever it's based off of what you do and how you build the business and all those people who maybe came in before you they're going to be helping you they're going to be pulling you up they want you to have success and it's about everybody having success together and and when you share that concept with people you know they kind of look at you and they're like they're like oh Interesting, you know, because <laughs> they really don't know what a pyramid scheme is. But uh, I would like to remind them that, yeah, you, you might be actually part of a pyramid once you rethink this thing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, uh, one of the things that I noted uh, about you when I, I saw you at a, uh, a a very big network marketing event recently was that you're a great storyteller. And so I have two questions related to that. Uh, were you always a good storyteller?
0: No, I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't a very good storyteller. It was, um, it was something I developed over time. And I think when I first heard that saying, "facts tell stories, sell." Uh, it really resonated with me because when I thought about all the times I listened to a speaker, and they shared a story, and within that story was a teaching point, I always remembered the teaching point. So, um, you know, it's I, I've had the practice. It's taken me some time, and I learn from other presenters and other mentors. It's you know no better place to learn from other ones others who have experience and just over time through practice and practice i've gotten better at it and and i love it though too because people remember the stories and they're getting the lessons too and it's 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 an exciting way to be able to teach oh yeah i, I agree man listen
1: the first time i heard you speak was at that event and i'll never forget you dramatizing your moments with joe montana And you not only told it with feeling, but we could see it. We began to visualize it, and that was it. Made a lasting impression. Mm-hmm. That's why I wanted you to really share it with our with our audience today. Now, did you actually study any uh, professional storytelling as
0: well? Did you take any courses? No, actually, I didn't. I truly didn't. I just, you know, I have a I have a mentor, um, Doctor Will Morlin. He's a leadership trainer, a best-selling author, and I started working with him about ooh, about was that a year about. A, almost two years ago. And um, he's the one I work with and writing my book and all that. And and he he trained me on a lot of this because I I listened to him a lot and I watched him present and and he just kind of, he gave me some tips and he just said, JJ, you know, all you do is you just go through different components in your life and you just see if you're speaking in front of a group and if you're trying to convey a certain point, review your life, review what's happening to you every day and see which story will help bring that point out. And I've gotten better at it because as I review different things that have happened in my life, I can always pull a story to teach a point. And uh, I think I had a lot of practice with my children because they seem to know all my stories. Wow,
1: you know what? That's exactly what struck me when you presented at the MLM Mastermind, that that was what was so powerful, that everything you taught was directly related to your own life, and you found a way to apply it to us so that we could resonate with it, and it made the, all the world a difference. Now, so I uh, guess you already kind of covered this. I would say, what's the role of storytelling in your business? But you, you really did kind of cover that. Unless you have something you want to add to it,
0: no, I think I think okay. that I already covered. That's good. Cool. So now, how important is family to you? <laughs> oh, family is extremely important to me. It's it's priority number one. Uh, I have been happily married for twenty five years to my college sweetheart, Raina. and we have we have eight children. Um, <laughs> and there's a quick little story on that. We have three biological children. And about uh, seven years ago, I got a call from my nieces and nephews in Tulsa and five of them and went and checked on them. And 24 hours later, I'm in a courthouse and the court's going to take all five of the children and put them in foster homes. And after quickly having a discussion with my wife, we, we both agreed, let's take them all. And we took them all, got guardianship and our family went from five to ten overnight, you know, but, but I love it because – not only have I been able to be there for my children, but my wife and I, we've been, we saw this as an opportunity to impact five more lives. Wow. That is really,
1: really inspiring. What's the age range of your children?
0: Right now, let's see. My oldest is 25, my son, and then my next son is Dante. So, Le Jordan is my oldest, and then Dante, my son, is 22. Then my daughter, Camille, is 20. Then my nieces and nephews, my nephew Justin is 25, my niece LaShawn is 22, my nephew Brandon is 20, my niece Aaliyah is 18, and my niece Alicia is 14.
1: Wow. (laughs) Yeah. That's a great
0: range. Yeah. Do they all get along? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. And and. Initially, it was kind of interesting because all of a sudden, we're trying to merge this family, and, and we kind of struggled the first six months. I think it was just kind of getting used to um, all of us being in the same house, but we watched the relationships grow and evolve, and they're all just buddies. They're brothers and sisters. I mean, we have a, we have a great time together.
1: Beautiful. Now, was your immediate family immediately on board with you when you chose network marketing, like your wife Sometimes uh, people go through a struggle where the spouse is kind of resisting.
0: And Did you, f- did you encounter any of that? Well, initially my wife was – she wasn't in bo- on board for the po- from the standpoint that she was not going to be in ball. She just said, if you want to do it, that's your thing. You do it. Uh, but as I started having success a couple years later – We sat down, and she said, hey, I want to be a part of this. Let's do this together. So uh, the last, I guess, six years, we've been full-time together, and I I love it because we're business partners. And my wife is one. She does not like to be out in front. I've tried to get her on stage. She's adorable, but she does not want to get on stage. And so she does everything behind the scenes so that I can kind of be out there you know, prospecting and training and presenting.
1: Well, that sounds like it's uh, it's a great team, my friend. It's a great team. Everybody's playing to their strengths. Um, You know, do
0: you um, are any of your children involved in, in the business? None of the, well, let's see, I'll say they're not really, they're not involved, but I've put them all in the business so that one day when they do want to do it, uh, uh, they all take our products, you know, they they love the products, but uh, nobody's doing it right now. I've had a couple of them say, you know, I think I might like to do that at some point. And, And there's a few of them that have the right personality, but Um, but I'm not going to force them. I want them to make that decision on their own, but when they're ready, you know, dad and mom will be, uh, definitely in a position to get them going.
1: Well, I'm sure you are. You already are now. And I, I think that maybe the ones who are inclined to it will begin to appreciate exactly what it has to offer as they get a little bit older. and Also, as they see you continue to grow in it, you know, um, what did you love most about playing football professionally?
0: I think what I loved most was I loved the team aspect of it. Uh, being part of a team, um, you got 53 men working together to achieve a common goal. And from all walks of life, you know, you're meeting people from all over the world. It was, it was incredible. I love that aspect. I love the competing I love to push my body against some of the best athletes in the world. I I really got a rush out of that because I was known for years being gifted athletically, and then to go up against guys that were like some that were just as fast as me was was a challenge, you know. And I I love that challenge, and and um, I love the train. The training aspect was awesome because when you have a job where your job is to make sure your body is in tip top shape. And, and believe me, oh man, was I in amazing shape back in the days. And, and, I, and I missed that part. And and I'd say probably the last thing, the, the pay wasn't too bad either. you know? <laughs> The pay
1: wasn't too bad. <laughs> well, you know, you say you miss being, come on, you're, you're in shape now, man. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking at you right now on camera and I'm seeing you,
0: you're in great shape. <laughs> well, I'm in I'm in good shape for a 50 year old man, but let me tell you something. When I was you know 30, 29, <laughs> the way I, the way I could run and my body fat, the things that I could do were were pretty amazing. And sometimes I think about like, man, the I can't believe that I was I could run and jump like that, you know. So, uh, but for 50 years 50 years old, I'm in pretty decent shape.
1: Again, without getting into specific names of products, I have a feeling that. The products that you're using from our company have helped your physical condition a lot.
0: Yeah, they certainly have. And one thing I tell people is that, you know, as my metabolism started changing, I think when I got into the 40s, I've always done the same workout. Since I retired, I've done the same workout. I love this. I have the Kansas City Chiefs weight workout. I still do it four days a week. I run. I do cardio. And then I wasn't getting the same results several years ago, so I I switched up my nutrition in our company, and now I lost, like, this body fat, I'm a little tighter, I got a little bigger, and I tell people that, hey, I work out the same way, I just changed up my nutrition. Because as you know, 80% of it is what you put in your body, and 20% is what you do with your body.
1: Exactly, exactly. Now, you mentioned the name of the workout. What kind of workout is that?
0: You you said... Yeah, the, the Kansas City Chiefs, when I was with them, we had a four-day workout, uh, weight, weight workout that we did, and and I still do it to this day. You know, we're Monday and Thursday, you're working your chest and triceps and your legs and your abs, and then Tuesday and Thursday, you're doing shoulders, back, and biceps, and, and you're always changing up the exercises, but you're focusing on those body parts, and I still do it, and, and I, I love that workout. Do you work out – pretty heavy when you work out? Um, I, uh, you know, right now I'm kind of going a little heavier, Lewis, because I'm testing out a couple of our products to see huh. if you can really build the muscle. Uh-huh. So I put on about 10 pounds of muscle, so I'm, I'm going a little heavy, but not ridiculous heavy, but just, you know, I want to be a walking testimonial when I talk to people and say, hey, this is what it can do if you, <laughs> you, you know, take it this way, you know.
1: I know that there's one of them, that was a recent product for uh, uh, giving us greater endurance and faster recovery time that I think is astonishing. And in a fact, fr- fr- a friend of mine tried it and he called me early in the morning one day. He said, Lewis, I just came back from the gym. He said, what is this? This stuff, this stuff should be illegal. He <laughs> said, "I can't believe the endurance I had in the gym, <laughs> and it was." I've experienced the same thing with it. But yeah, me you, too. <laughs> so let me ask. I asked you about football. What
0: do you love most about network marketing itself? What I love most about network marketing is the freedom. And when I say freedom, I mean freedom to build the business, you know, the how you want to build it, you know, freedom to work with whoever you want to, you know, and as you build it and you, you get your customer base really growing, then you have that freedom to, you know, do what you want to do with your time. And, and I just love the control aspect, meaning that you control what you control, meaning that. It's not where corporate America well, sometimes there's things you can't control. I was the owner of three companies and there were so many things that were out of my control. But in network marketing, it's based on you how you build a business, how you train yourself, how you personal development, how you put the daily activities into action. Because when I compared it to football, football was your physical attributes that would determine your success. And network marketing is. It's you. It's it's your commitment. It's it's your efforts that's key to success. And so I, I love that because I know if it's based off of what I'm going, what I do, I'm going to do the work. I'm going to make the commitment. So uh, I love the freedom and aspect. I love the team aspect. Working together as a team. I love the fact that the business model, again, revolves around your ability to help other people achieve their dreams. And then lastly, I love that passive income. Mm -hmm. There's nothing better than passive income. Income that comes in week after week, month after month, year after year. Indeed. What
1: um, one of the people we both know and and admire, Randy Gage, calls uh, your eventual drink from the coconut money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, that's what he calls it, and um, you know, that is fascinating what you just told me. the um, I love it for the exact same reasons that you do, now how what, what would you say to somebody who wants the time, the money and the freedom of network marketing, but they're held back by fear and they just can't step into that new identity, because I meet a lot of people like that.
0: Well, first, I would say you got to find out what you're passionate about. I mean, you, you really have to find out what that why is. I mean, What excites you? What's going to get you out of bed fired up? Because if you don't have something that you're really excited about, you're really passionate about, then you're not going to be willing to make that transition to grab that new identity as far as network marketing. But if you are, if you're really that hungry, you've got something you're passionate about, then I would say, okay – now you need to educate yourself on this industry. You've got to learn about this industry. This industry has been around for many, many years. It's doing over $180 billion a year. More and more people are gravitating to this business model for a reason. People are looking. They're looking for another way to achieve their dreams and their goals. So I'd say educate yourself because once you educate yourself and really get to understand what this business model is all about, I believe the belief system will increase. And then you gotta find the right company. You've got to find the right company. You've got to find a company that resonates with you. It's so, so important. And along with that, you gotta find the right business partner, the right mentor, someone that could train you, someone that can teach you the skills and you know the ins and outs of this industry. And and then I'd say you just gotta roll up your sleeve and get to work. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I love that. That is a really great answer. I I wanted to ask you before, just quickly, too, uh, because you are building a team, you understand for, I mean, your whole life, the concept of team. Do you have a certain specific set of rules in place that anybody who joins your team must commit to? I would call it a code of honor, if you like.
0: Well, I think one of the things that I do is, first, I try to figure out where they are. You know? what is your level of commitment? Are you are you just a customer? Are you going to kind of dabble in it? Or are you going to be serious about building it? So I let my new business partners know right away that uh, I'm going to play chess with you because I need to know how serious you are. If you're really serious, then you're going to play chess with me, meaning that I tell them, I make a move, you make a move, I make a move. It's not... I make three moves and you make no moves. It doesn't work that way because if you truly want to build it, I want you there, move after move after move. But if you give me that commitment, I will go as hard as you want to. And so I I like people, I want to know where people are. And I like to do this sift and sort because in this industry, you know, you have so many people that join your team, but you've got to spend your time, a lot of your time with the ones that are more serious about building the business. You spend your time with all your teammates. You love them all, but the ones that are seriously committed, that's where you're going to dedicate a lot of your time. So I like to know where their commitment level is right up front.
1: Hmm. Well, it sounds to me like you do. You send them a very clear message, and that's, that's leadership. That's what leadership's all about. Now, how has network marketing changed the way that you see the future?
0: I'd say it's, it's changed my vision. It's changed my vision of the future. And vision has a couple different definitions. I like this one. Vision is the ability to anticipate what will be. Mm -hmm. So because of network marketing, I can anticipate... That whatever I want to achieve from a, a time standpoint, a freedom standpoint, a financial standpoint, how many lives I can touch, I know that's going to happen because one, I have the vision and two, I back the vision up with action. So um, sometimes you say there's dreamers out there, but the dreamers aren't willing to put in the work to achieve those dreams. I'm a dreamer and I know I'm going to put in the work and I'm eventually going to achieve those dreams.
1: That is beautiful, man. That is so inspiring. You know, that was the final question, and I'm going to soon bring this, uh, the show to a close. I, I just want to thank you, man, because uh, you have contributed so much value. Uh, you know, on the one hand, it's a great story about success in sports and business, but it goes way beyond that because anybody who listens to this show will be able to get inspired and apply a lot of the life lessons that you brought to their own lives. And that is a fantastic gift, my friend. I can't thank you enough. In fact, what I would love for you to do after the show ends in a moment or two, if you can just stay on. Oh, yes. could you, I'd love you to talk about your book. Please tell the audience about your book.
0: Quickly, I'll tell everyone that I just wrote a new book that just hit the best-selling list. It's called "When Opportunity Knocks: Eight Surefire Ways to Take Advantage," and it highlights a lot of the principles that are necessary to to seize any type of opportunity that comes your way. So, if you go to my website, www.jjburden.com, that's where you can access it. But there's some great stories, some great lessons, and some great teaching points in there. And by the way, is it also available on Amazon? Yes, it is. It's available on Amazon.com as well. But if you want the signed copy, then you want to order it from my website because I personally sign all those ones that are ordered from JJBurden.com.
1: Beautiful. And for people, um, if you're not sure about the spelling, it's JJ and B-I-R-D-E-N.com. Everything you heard today and more you will get from that book. On the topic of books, I consider books sparks for your imagination that can reveal your greatness. And remember that you can download a free audiobook of your choice from 180,000 titles at www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. Also, for your enrichment, go to www.changeyourstorypodcast.com and grab your free gift ebook Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. It will definitely expand your mind, increase your personal power, and help you to make more money. If you got value from today's show, let me know exactly what you received. Also, let me know what you would like to see in the show going forward. Contact me at lewis at changeyourstorypodcast.com. I will read your email messages, and I will choose some of them to share with our audience on this show. And now, storytellers, here's a question for you. Is there a person inside of you that you would just love to become? I think that the answer is yes for most people. But most people are afraid to step into their power and to let that person live. I say to you, don't be one of them. Look inside. Coax your higher self out of hiding. And to help you do that, keep asking this question. How can I change my story and change
0: my life? Tune in to the next episode of Luis DiBianco's podcast. Become unstoppable as you learn to change your story, change your life.